This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, a sweet and spicy release. Counterculture talks Super Bowl eats. A day in the life of a miner with Fintan Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. Telluride is full of creatives. There's visual artists, musicians, dancers, theater makers, and authors. Next week, local author Aggie Unda Thames is releasing her latest novel, Sweet and Spicy, part of the Latin Lovers romance novel series. Set in Puerto Vallarta, the novel follows Diego and Nikki. Diego is our male uh, lead, and he is a rags-to-riches, rising superstar kind of chef, and he lives in Puerto Vallarta, and it's going to be the opening of his um, restaurant. And Nikki is a journalist that happens to be living in Puerto Vallarta with her horrible, cheating fiancé. Nikki is sent to cover the opening of Diego's new restaurant, and in true romance fashion, sparks fly. There are some little sensual, sexy scenes in Sweet and Spicy. As there should be. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but for Unda Thames, the story and the romance genre is about so much more than the steamy, sexy situations. One of the things that I love about um, romance novels is, you know, that as women we can relate because of many different issues. I mean, it doesn't have to be Nikki's, um, but it's always about transformation and becoming better and fighting for um, a better life. She wants to help readers realize their worth through her pages. There's a quote by Maya Rodale that says, Romance novels have been and still are the dangerous books that show women again and again that they are worth it. So some people have the misconception that romance is not literally worthy or, you know, not top-notch literature or writing. But um, I think it just shows um, women that we all have journeys, that we all have our ups and downs, and that if we meet a guy in the way, that's awesome and cool, but that guy has to make a stronger, better um and loving us just as we are, but we are still enough to live our dreams. Unda Thames will host a book release party for Latin lovers Sweet and Spicy at the Between the Covers bookstore on Tuesday, February 14th at 5 p.m. There will be a book reading and signing, tacos from Latin Creations, and live music from Alberto Mejia. The first five Lucky Kodo listeners will get a free signed copy of the book. For some, the big game is about the final score. For others, it's about the ads or the halftime show. But no matter what pulls you in, the Super Bowl means it's time for some iconic Americana finger food. To help inspire your Super Bowl feast, Kodo News took a trip to the ever-bustling counterculture cafe to speak with chef and co-owner Steve Hertzfeld about what to make for the big game. Hertzfeld begins by sharing his cooking philosophy. Source local, source the best ingredients you can, um, and don't screw them up. For Super Bowl cookery specifically, Hertzfeld suggests starting with the classics and then drawing inspiration from the year's matchup. Everybody has their favorites, you know, it's almost like a Thanksgiving thing where people associate certain foods with this 
let's call it a holiday. You have your traditional stuff, you know, your your wings and your nachos and your seven layer dip and whatever. And all that stuff is great. And if you want to make that for your party, awesome, go for it, you know. Um, but I think it's a fun opportunity to be creative. And the way you can make it different every single year at the Super Bowl is, you, is there's two different teams in it from two different cities, two different regions of the country usually. And you can just make it, you can have a lot of fun with that. Begin with the Super Bowl classic. Let's take the nacho and how do we make one Philly and one KC? Well, for this, I'm thinking you play with the colors, play with the team colors. So for the Philly one, a white cheddar cheese sauce and then maybe a tomatillo sauce, like a green salsa, some sort of salsa verde. Um, pickled jalapenos. And then for the Kansas City one, their colors are red and yellow. So do a yellow cheese sauce, maybe chopped tomatoes, maybe a red salsa on that one. Choose food that will hold up well and will let you take to the couch rather than tie you up in the kitchen. Instead of something like a labor-intensive Philly cheesesteak made to order, Hertzfeld suggests laying out an Italian party sub at the beginning of the event. Yeah, try and make an Italian hoagie. I think that's the nod to Philly. And then on the KC side, um, you know, barbecue would be the most iconic food. So um, that's a perfect thing to just hold in a crock pot. You know, you don't, you know, obviously barbecue there, you know, so a Kansas City native would, would want you to do it in a smoker and all that. Like most of us live in small, small apartments here. I have 400, 400 square foot apartment in Telluride, so I don't have a smoker. But do some, look it up on the internet. You can do some great oven, oven um, braises, oven barbecue. With barbecue, people can eat as they please, Hertzfeld says. People are going to graze through that four hours. It's not so much like a sit-down dinner party, right? This is a grazing party. It's an eating party. Um, keep that in mind. You can just have the sauce and the rolls sitting out for four hours. They're going to be fine. Have the braise in your crock pot, and people will just eat when they want to get up from the couch. Choosing just one or two elements of the meal to make from scratch can be both a fun challenge and an absolute delight for your party guests, says Hertzfeld. I'm not saying you have to do the whole everything from scratch, but if there's some element of even these like kind of traditional nachos and wings that you can do from scratch or just make a little more special, people will notice and appreciate that. Um, they, people can taste when you're putting the right energy into your food and an effort, they'll, they'll, they'll appreciate that. So maybe fry your own tortilla chips this year. Maybe bake your bread if you really want to get ambitious. Maybe you know, cook off your own black beans, you know, um, for your nachos instead of buying a can. And when it comes to something sweet, Hertzfeld says by that point in the game, the winner will be clear. I've been a lifelong Eagles fan, um, so I'm just going to say that Philly's going to win. And you should just have a Philly-based dessert, so buy yourself some Philadelphia cream cheese and make a cheesecake. Don't even bother with a Kansas City one. Although counterculture will be closed on game day while Hertzfeld pays tribute to the Eagles, their menu currently features a tally cheesesteak, an ode to the city of brotherly love. It aims to delight no matter who wins come Sunday afternoon. You can try it at the kitchen in Lawson Hill, Mondays through Saturdays. You can't touch this. Boys basketball is on the brain this week for Telluride High School's Finton Cole, but kicking off this installment of A Day in the Life of a Minor is something more rodent.
Groundhog Day was a week ago, and Punxsutawney Phil, Dunkirk Dave, Wireton Willie, and Flatiron Freddy have all made their predictions. Punxsutawney Phil emerged from his burrow at Gobbler's Knob in Pennsylvania and saw his shadow, meaning we are in for six more weeks of winter. Flatiron Freddy in Boulder also saw his shadow, predicting the same thing. However, Wireton Willie and Dunkirk Dave got the opposite results. Neither groundhog saw its shadow and agreed that spring is just around the corner. Unfortunately, I have some very sad news from the Canadian province of Quebec, and it says, On the second day of February 2023, the sun rose high over the mountain peak. Lots of singing and dancing, and the music came on as the sun shone brightly at the crack of dawn. The folks were excited, their faces did yearn, but that day in Quebec took a very grim turn. So do not start fighting, not even a shove, but Fred Lamarmotte never did wake up. People in Quebec were in mourning that day, for their very dear Fred has passed away. So the people in Quebec had to improvise and took out a stuffed groundhog that was just Fred's size. The show had to go on, it could not be called off, and they put the stuffed marmot on the minuscule loft, a shadow they did see, so no matter how they measured, it was going to be six more weeks of winter weather. Please note the Super Bowl is on Sunday, February 12, 2023. Boys varsity basketball defeated the Ridgeway Demons by a touchdown. The final score is 37-30, but they lost against the Blue Jays 60-52, putting them third in the Basin League. Here on more about the basketball team is Missiana Pollard. Missiana Anthony Ordonez and Cesar Sandoval are your two seniors who will graduate this year. Going forward into the next season, what will the team look like? Um, fortunately, we do have a lot of players coming back, so we'll have quite a few of our starters. We'll have Towns Merritt, Grayson Berry, Jay Ellison. We'll have Jack back. Um, we'll have Will Matheny back cash um so we'll have quite a few returners so i'm looking forward to that because as the new coach they are just starting to get kind of you know the program my language that i use when i'm coaching um, so i'm really looking forward to that what skills will you have for your players going into the road game against the dolores bears Oh, uh, so we actually watched film yesterday here in my classroom, um, and we talked about how we need to be prepared on defense. We tend to stand up a lot, so to kind of get down low and get ready before the ball even crosses the half-court line. Um, we need to call out a shot sooner so we can get early rebounding position. Just some of those little things that we do well, we need to do even better so we can put the game away, hopefully in the first quarter. And now, the question that's on everyone's brain is Telluride basketball in the playoffs? Yes, they are. <laughs> we'll have a great postseason. Uh, we start off on the, t I want to say the 24th and the 5th in Ridgeway, if, you, if anyone wants to come and see us. You heard it here first. We're in, boys. I'm Fenton Cole, reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman talks with one local artist about her artistic process. Have a listen. Good evening, and welcome to a very special episode of Eyes to Ears. 
This is a Kodo segment wherein I, Bella Eatman, describe local art I may find in local art galleries. However, today we will be doing something a little bit different. See, the second episode I have done on this series was on an art piece called An Open Air Living Room by a local artist named Molly Peral. And today we get to interview her. Hey, Bella, I'm very excited to be here. Um, I'm Molly Perrault. Um I'm a local artist. I've got my work in Slate Gray Gallery, and I also work at the Telluride Historical Museum. Lovely to be here. Oh, my gosh. It, I, I'm, you have no idea how excited I, and I am to do this for the first time. As I have mentioned before, this is the first interview that we've done on this series. And the first question is, what is the process behind your art pieces? That is a great question. I would say the first part of my process is to be inspired. I kind of go out and about. Uh, the piece that you mentioned, an open-air living room, uh, the setting is lizard head, so I spend a lot of time hiking in um, regional trails, check out um, some of our public lands. Um, is definitely a source of inspiration. I go out there, I take photos, I kind of absorb the feeling of being in the spaces, try to take notes of the colors, the atmosphere, kind of um, just like the general vibe of the place. And then I take it back and then I usually kind of like go through the photos. I see what kind of resonates the deepest. And then from there, I I choose the uh, photo I want to reference for my collages. And um, then I start making palettes, which, as you noted in your first uh, feature, it's all magazine paper. So I'll flip through magazines and look for certain colors and patterns and textures that are featured um, in the reference from being out in nature and the outdoors. Um, And I kind of create a palette the same way a painter would. But instead of paints, it's these little scraps of paper piled up on a tabletop. (laughs) Do you only create pieces of art through this one medium, or do you like to uh, stretch your artistic muscles, per se? I definitely consider myself a mixed-media artist. I work in as many different mediums as I possibly can, because I think it's kind of a great way to find different ways of expression. Um, I I think drawing is kind of the most elemental way to figure things out as an artist. It's the same way that maybe you as a um, journalist might write. Uh, I I think it's just important to have a daily practice and maybe it's not necessarily creating a collage every day. Um, But you just kind of have to like be open to whatever moves you, you know, for lack of a better term, like look for uh, whatever medium will be best at expressing what you're feeling on a certain day. What is your advice that you'd give to other people who wish to have a career in the arts? The advice I would give is just to keep making art. I think, um, every, it, like I just mentioned, it's important to have a daily practice to create things that resonate deeply with you, to make sure you leave enough time and space for yourself to be inspired. For me, that's going out in nature. But for somebody else, maybe that's like reading a book or going skiing. I guess that is being in nature. <laughs> uh, just finding different ways to uh, be inspired, I think, is the most important way to be an artist. What kept you going in, in your career for the arts? That's a hard question. I would say um, I identify as an artist. I don't know any other option right? Whether besides making art. Like, I think it's important to just keep doing it. Um, I, I just don't see any other option besides making art. 
I, I can totally agree. I didn't really see it myself doing doing eyes to ears as an option either. It was kind of, and I kind of always thought that I'd also grow up to be an artist. But anyway, this is the last question is, is the life that you have now what you dreamed of as a child? And if not, are you still happy with what you have, with where you are in the present day? I think childhood Molly would absolutely be satisfied with where adult Molly is right now. I think she'd be very pleased to know that I'm still making art and um, living in the mountains and um, following my dreams. In fact, I found a bucket list that I wrote uh, when I was in high school. <laughs> and I, it was amazing how many things on that list I've accomplished for leaving my hometown being number one. And here I am in Telluride. So I think sh uh, younger Molly would be very proud of myself right now. <laughs> oh, I, I am I am so glad to hear and hear that. It's always ver uh, very nice to, uh, to know that you've followed through with, uh, with what you've dreamed of doing. But anyway... I, th those are all the questions I have for today. Thank you, Molly, for coming here for me to interview you. It has been such a pleasure to meet you. This has also been a huge pleasure, Bella. Thank you so much for interviewing me. This has been lovely. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you to, to the dear listeners for listening to us talk about art. This has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. It might be a cold case, but the race is on to catch Butch Cassidy, or at least to get in the spirit of a high-speed winter pursuit. This Saturday, February 11th, Telluride Nordic is hosting its annual Butch Cassidy Ski Chase and Nordic Fun Day at Priest Lake. Along the route, Cassidy supposedly used to flee town back in 1889 after robbing his first bank. The Butch, as the event is known, features a number of events for all ages, ski styles, and distances, and puts the emphasis on community camaraderie rather than coming in first. Telluride Nordic asks that all participants register in advance at TellurideNordic.com. Colorado is getting money from pharmaceutical companies as part of legal settlements related to the opioid crisis. The state is distributing those funds among various regions. The five-county region that includes Pitkin, Eagle, Garfield Summit, and Lake Counties is set to receive $5 million, or about $280,000 per year. Chelsea Carnoli is with Eagle County Public Health. She says they're looking for proposals from program providers that encompass things like education and messaging, as well as harm reduction like needle exchange programs and training for using Narcan, a drug used to reverse opioid overdoses. Carnoli says in addition to those more traditional addiction programs, they're also looking to gather more data on the region's needs through a data dashboard. That, of course, has the kind of more preventional idea of wanting to collect some real-time data that can help inform decision of need, also help with any other sustainability practices and seeking funds for organizations there. 
She says the program needs to meet specific needs, but also be flexible enough to meet each county's unique needs. Carnoli says it's a common misconception that harm reduction programs promote opioid usage. An effort to curb Hunter's use of lead bullets advanced this week at the state capitol. If passed, a new bill would launch a pilot program for hunters to voluntarily exchange lead bullets for non-toxic ones. The goal is to prevent lead from contaminating wildlife and getting into game meat. Supporters of the bill include wildlife advocates and Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Critics are worried the program will cost the state too much money and could lead to restrictions on gun owners. The bill was approved by the House Agriculture, Water and Natural Resources Committee 9-4 to and now moves on to a fiscal review. This Sunday, a deaf Navajo man will perform Native American Sign Language at the Super Bowl. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidas of KSUT and KSJD reports. Colin Denny will perform a sign language interpretation of America the Beautiful during the Super Bowl pregame show in Glendale, Arizona. Denny will accompany the singer Babyface, employing a blend of American Sign Language and North American Indian Sign Language. Colin Denny is a research assistant at the University of Arizona. He studies Native American Sign Languages at the Department of Disabilities and Psychoeducational Studies. Denny spoke to the press through a sign language interpreter about his education. There is no Navajo sign language. It's now been reduced just down to gestural language. The tribes have their own sign languages, but I realized that there was language here. There always has been language. And American Sign Language was not the first language to be here, but there's no documentation. Denny says that native sign languages, or hand talk, were once used widely across tribes, especially as a means of communication between tribes that have different spoken languages. Denny hopes the performance will raise awareness about native sign languages. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. Remote Hinsdale County is not a ski destination like Aspen or Telluride. Lake City, the county's only incorporated town, touts its ski hill as what skiing was like before the rise of mega resorts. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Laura Palmisano reports from opening day earlier this winter. Well, our slogan is, skiing the way it used to be. That's Henry Woods. He coaches the local ski team and volunteers at the Lake City Ski Hill. The ski hill is home to the oldest operating ski lift in Colorado. I skied on it when I was a little kid in Arapahoe Basin, and then it was moved here in 1966. Woods describes the single Poma lift. Well, it's a surface lift, meaning it pulls you on the ground, you're not up in the air, and it's a, not a detachable lift. The, the carriers are affixed on the cable. It pulls you up and you gotta get off on your own. Skiers place a disc seat attached to a pole between their legs and then they're pulled up the ski hill. Oh, the lift. <laughs> The disc lift, well, it's better than a rope toe, so... <laughs> That's Rebecca Kaminsky, a local mother of five. She's at the ski hill with her kids on this sunny Saturday in mid-January. It is something that you will not experience probably anywhere else. It's getting to go up on a disc lift. It's like riding an antique. 
The Lake City Ski Hill has 14 skiable acres. It's tiny compared to other ski destinations in Colorado like Vail or Keystone that offer several thousand. Kaminsky likes this fact. Well, we don't have as many runs as they do, but it's got that small town feel, so it's very convenient to come here and to bring your family here. It's a great place for beginners to learn. She also enjoys the variety it offers. There are some challenging runs. For my kids that want a little bit more of a challenge, they can actually go to a different part and ski those trails as opposed to there's some super easy trails. Littleton resident Jeb Braco is at the ski hill on opening day with his wife and daughter. We're trying our little one out in some skis, trying to get her a little bit better at this. So she's two and a half, so trying to get her in some uh, turns, work on everything. This is his first time visiting Lake City. We love it. It's uh, so kind of low-key, and it's terrific for, for her first time and just us getting back into it after years of COVID. This is her first time skiing? Second time, yeah. We tried Uray once, too. The town of Lake City owns and operates the ski hill. Braco and his wife are taking their toddler to different municipally owned ski hills in Colorado. We're trying to hit all the cheaper ones. <laughs> Why she's not very good. Aside from Lake City and Uray, there are also city-run ski hills in Durango, Gunnison, Silverton, and Steamboat Springs. A single-day adult lift pass at these ski hills ranges from $16 to $43. It can cost hundreds of dollars to ski at a large resort. Lake City Community School children get a free season pass for the ski hill through the school district. Ten-year-old Wyatt Lopper is using his today. Yeah, I'm kind of nervous because it's my first time skiing and I don't know what's ahead. Coach Wood says another charming aspect of the ski hill is the junky old warming house. The tiny building looks like a shed. Inside is where you get your gear for skiing or snowboarding. Lake City native Danny File is manning the counter here today. He works for the town's recreation department. One day we would love to purchase a new warming hut and one that has more space, one that has better heating, and one that has better insulation. We're saving up to do it, but it might be some time. We love this little warming hut. It has a lot of character, has a lot of history, but we do need to replace it. Back outside, Coach Woods offers some pointers to a youth ski team member. Put your skis together in between the turns. For over 40 years, Woods has volunteered as the local ski coach. Skiing has helped me so much in my life. When I was a kid, it helped me to have more self-esteem and be active and be in shape. I like the idea of imparting that to other kids. He hopes the ski hill remains a treasured part of the community for generations to come. Reporting from Lake City, I'm Laura Palmisano. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the high teens. Saturday should be partly sunny with a high near 40 degrees, and Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 20. Sunday calls for sun with a high near 40, and Sunday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, February 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello, this is Dan Enright, Telluride Town Council person and vice chairperson for the San Miguel County Democratic Party. And I'm Joan May, and I am the secretary of the San Miguel County Democratic Party. And we're here to invite you to 
our caucus on Saturday evening at the Liberty from 4 to 6. This is going to be a great opportunity to come meet Adam Frisch. You'll remember Adam uh, from his recent campaign uh, for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District. He's also a former city council person from the town of Aspen. Yeah, so we're going to meet tomorrow, well, Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Liberty Bar. Uh, it's going to be a cash bar and snacks, and it'll be a fun kickoff to the upcoming election season. This is a great and easy way to start getting involved in your local community. This is also our reorganization event, so if you're looking to volunteer and get more engaged uh, with the Democratic Party here in San Miguel County, this is the first step and the easiest way to do it. Doesn't feel like election season, but elections are always right around the corner, and 2024 is obviously a super important year, presidential year, another chance to vote for third congressional district, and all kinds of important things. So we hope to see you Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Liberty. Show up at 4 o'clock so that you don't miss anything, and it's going to be a great opera ski gathering. I think it's going to be a really fun kickoff to the election cycle. Absolutely. And like Joan said, this is uh, a more important time than ever. There's issues both locally and nationally that the Democrats are working on and that we really believe in and we would love to have your voice be a part of. Thanks so much. And we hope to see you on on Saturday evening uh, at the Liberty Bar at 4 p.m. See you there. See you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.